This is Community in Unity, a production of Alaska Public Media's Solutions Desk. I'm your host, Ann Hillman. What's it like to go from a small village in rural Alaska and into prison? How do you stay connected to your family, your culture? During Community in Unity, Building Connections, we went inside Anvil Mountain Correctional Center in Nome to hear from inmates, staff, and other community members. They sat together in a circle to talk about their life experiences, both inside and outside the prison walls. The recording has been edited for clarity and length. Hi, good afternoon. This is uh, Michael Kulikan. I'm uh, originally from St. Lawrence Island, and I moved to Shack Tulik like seven years ago. And being incarcerated here in AMCC is a real heartache for, you know, for myself including uh, other people that I know, my relatives, family members. For me, this is an eye-opener for me, you know, a wake-up call. And, you know, it's gave me a lot of choices that I've learned from the past, what I've done wrong to my family, to the community. Tell us about some of the lessons you've learned. Uh, some of the lessons I've learned is trying to get, you know, um, treatment or, you know, a program going for myself as an inmate. Um, I try to get, uh, you know, help for an assessment. Um, there's all, all kinds of programs they do here, which is pretty amazing. It helps a lot of people here, too. And, you know, there's always positive ways and other, you know, better ways for ourselves and with the staff the uh, people here they're real they're real helpful you know and they're they're amazing people too you know it doesn't matter if we're you know different color or different race or anything it's just that you know we make um it's, it's like uh helping out one another in a, a bad situation that we're in and to make the bed the best out of it you know, and um, to encourage ourselves with one another. Uh, most times, you know, when it takes a while to understand, you know, the meaning of coming to jail. But at one point, you know, you have to, you know, like stick up for yourself and make a better uh, acknowledgement, you know, and try to, uh, you know, be good on, on your best behavior and you know make better choices and this is really came you know as a uh, a real good um, opportunity for me to speak this because you know um, uh, they gave me like uh, a good uh, source to work with here which is the kitchen and that's you know one thing to get your um, your hard thoughts, your hard regrets, or whatever, anything that's grudging you or holding you back, gets you right off the, you know, your mind, keeps your mind focused to something else, and you know, makes things a lot better, and you know, and um, it takes a lot of uh, courage to do that, a better understanding, you know, just to seek help. To me, this is really got to stop for me, you know, coming to jail. But uh, I learn, you know, from my ways. 
and it just gets better all the time, you know, and the best is yet to come, you know. They, they also have uh, church services here uh, right after church. You know, they always really um, acknowledge us to pray because prayers are really strong and they do help. And God will really understand the meaning of your life and what you're going through. And it's just a, a, it's such a blessing to have you all here with us today. What about others? What have you experienced while at Anvil Mountain that has given you a different perspective on why you came or what you'd like to do when you leave? Uh, Michael Lockwood, St. Michael. I grew up in a time uh, where our culture, our culture was very strong, traditions were strong. Them days and the old days, growing up with my grandparents, it's hard. We struggled a lot, but it was sober, and it were fun days. I said, I kind of miss them days. I never did get in trouble. Never seen so many community members get in trouble. Things that I've seen going on in the prison system, it's getting worse. Youngsters are coming in here. I could see how scared they are, the fear that they come in with. And by the time they leave this place, they're totally different people. I have in my heart to, when I get back to my community, is to start the men's house again, so that we can raise our young men right. Um, I think the tradition and the cultural values have been missed and been gone away from our people too long. It's not only the men's house, but the, can also bring up the women's house too. Let everybody that in the community come back to the traditional cultural values. Like I said, you know, just when I was younger, I never seen so many people go to jail from our community and now it's like about 50% of the youngsters go to jail for choices, bad choices they make because it's the only thing they got, the only thing they know. My, my goal when I get out of here is to work harder to bring traditional and cultural uh, values back to my community because uh, I remember days Long ago when Hunter went out and he caught something and the whole community showed up and everybody got a piece of that. Nowadays it's just uh, Hunter comes home with something big. It's just him and his family, his direct family get that. And it's not like long ago where everybody shared everything. So it's just a weakness in our, in our communities is just a pulling away from our traditional and cultural ways. Thank you. Are there things that have happened um, within Anvil Mountain or other parts of the correctional system that have helped you maintain those connections to your culture or to your family? And this is open to anybody. I haven't seen that, no, not, not so much as, uh, there's a lot of help with uh, 
like reform or like get a lot of people in matrix programs. Uh, they have program. What's a matrix program? It's a BHS like behavioral health. It's like um, alcohol substance abuse program. Uh, I haven't seen you know much change in people that go through them. You know, even I've been through so many substance abuse programs, anger management programs. Thing about those programs, you know, the the person who goes into that program has to have in their heart and in their mind that they want to change. Because if you don't, if if you're not committed to change now, you're not going to be able to change out there. Because being being in here, you know, you're sober, your your mind is clear, you think about things a lot clearer, you see things differently compared to being released from here and going back out there and oh, lots of things coming at you like the world's going 100 miles an hour. There's so many things that going on, that go on in the families that, you know, talk about losing family while you're here. It's different, it's hard. You go home and that family member's not there no more. So you gotta learn how to deal with that and see see what what else will work for you but usually it's there's nothing it's it's always hard uh, my, my name is david um, um i've been uh, coming in and out of jail since i turned 18 and um, this is my longest term in here uh, um, i might just stay out for a while but it seemed like the cycle is starting over again um, I noticed that um, the more and more that you come back, um, your time is, is getting longer. And um, it really opened my, opened my eyes and my heart that, that if I don't change, that I could end up being in here a lot longer than I thought I would. And I also noticed that being in jail, um, it's starting to be more dangerous. Just like in the communities and cities, there's gangs. It seems like some of the members are ending up in, in jails. And it's, there's um, certain, certain crimes that people are, are charged with that there's uh, um, other um, inmates that take it upon themselves to, to pass judgment on them. And, and I just noticed that um, jail is getting a lot tougher, you know. And I'm, I'm glad to be here, and I'm glad everybody's here. I'm, I'm trying to make this my last time to come back. Thank you. So a comment that came up earlier is that it's hard to stay connected to culture when you're in here. And also when you're released, it's hard to know where you fit. And I'm wondering, for those of you who live, who, are, who have not been incarcerated, who are part of the community, how does it make you feel when people say that, when they feel like they're disconnected as soon as they're released? Uh, hi, my name is Simon. Um, I don't know too much about the programs here in Nome, but from a person who works at Anvil Mount Craig Center, and as a community member, 
it's a little, it's a little disheartening to hear that people, you know, they feel disconnected when they leave. Because I've been here almost five years, and I come from the lower 48, working in a big jail, to where I don't know anybody. Then I come here, and I know almost all the community members, and it's hard to see them come back, and back, and back. And it's, it just, you know, either you get desensitized or kind of breaks you down a little bit, even as a, you know, correctional officer, you know, because even some of these inmates in here, you know, I, I would count some of them as my friends. You know, they, they've made mistakes like everybody else has. And it's just hard. Thank you. Hello, my name is Gabriel Stone. It's hard when community, when I get out of here, it's going to be hard because I lost everybody out there. So, but yeah, it's going to be hard because I, I when I was growing up, my my family were alcoholics, and um, they didn't used to talk about just that to me, and it's going to be hard. And um, but when I get out, I'm going to. I got grandkids now, so I'm going to get. If I get out. Gonna talk to my grandkids about this place. Tell them not to go go to jail or do this that. And um, everybody's gotta you know talk about people. You know the inmates gotta go out and talk about jail. You know they have to you know tell them about this that. Being in here it's hard, but being away from family too it's hard too. So. Hi, I'm Lisa Ilana. I work at the Kuwait Cultural Center. And I know that there's been an effort here locally to address transition from um, the jail system into the community. I know that um, uh, Bob Weston and, and uh, Lance Johnson and uh, several other people have joined forces to create a recidivism reduction committee, I believe. And I don't know if that committee has uh, some kind of strategy or a plan for more long-term vision for reducing recidivism? Thank you for bringing that up, Lisa. I'm Sarah Lysak, and I am the Quirk Vocational Rehabilitation Program Director. Um, I'm from Nome, and I'm also the co-chair for the Nome Reentry Coalition. Uh, and it's a group of uh, people who are working to get certain um, research done uh, within the Bering Strait region uh, in order to identify gaps in services so that um, people can have a better chance uh, by taking advantage of new um, grants that may become available because we have that data. So our intent is to uh, get the information we need to apply for funding to address the gaps in services that currently exist. And what gaps have you seen at this point? Um, we don't have um, all of the official results yet, but for sure uh, there is a problem with people getting their basic needs met after being released because there's this transition point where you get released and then um, 
it takes a while to qualify for public assistance, for example, or housing. And people who have um, uh, criminal records often do not qualify for low-income housing. That is a huge problem. The biggest expenses in a person's life are transportation, housing, and food. And um, in order to get those basic needs met, it, I mean, it takes money. And there's not enough out there. And when you have a criminal background, uh, you're really at a disadvantage to be able to qualify for certain programs. You're listening to Community in Unity, Building Connections. That was Sarah Lysak, the co-chair of the No Reentry Coalition. This community conversation was recorded inside of Anvil Mountain Correctional Center on August 29, 2018. Inmates and other community members came together for an open conversation about culture, addiction, and incarceration. Have any of you experienced those gaps firsthand? or seen others experience those firsthand? Hi, my name is Stefan. Um, <clears throat> I'm currently residing at the Seaside Center, the transition um, from jail back into the community. And I wanted to thank everybody that is here to better understand what goes on with uh, us prisoners. Um, it all comes down to choice and self-awareness of um, what you did to begin with. Um, I get that reminded to me every single day of what I have done. And um, it's a personal choice that uh, you have to fight to learn how to uh, put down your pride and reach out for help. Because there is help, there is programs around in the community. And being in the halfway house is, um, uh, a really great opportunity. Uh, the case management there allows you to go out on passes, to get back into the community, um, to learn how to behave um, correctly into the community, uh, to better understand how to step out and uh, act normal, I guess. Like Before, uh, myself, I, I partied a lot, and I, I was never involved in too many community events. So um, you have a choice here at the halfway house. Well, you can go work out, go to the rec center. There's different community events. Hey, you're allowed to go to this, um, or you could just stay in Seaside. So it's, uh, it's a choice. Well, I'd like to get out of Seaside and go do these things and uh, get used to uh, being in the community. Um, it was, uh, you know, with my, my charge, um, it's kind of embarrassing and it's, it's really shameful and hurtful what I've done and, and it's, uh, it's hard to get over that. I have to take that in and not hide it and not let go of it but also learn to be consistent with uh, what I do um, and uh, showing that to my family, to the community is, uh, is, is kind of hard, but it's, uh, it's something you got to do. It's something you have to learn to do. And um, 
the halfway house has has urged you to step out of yourself to do those things and it's a it's a really good transition um you just have to ask and there's help there um there's a lot of community members that will uh, acknowledge what you've done but also help if you are um, if you show that you actually want the help and there's a lot of people that I've seen that just try to skate through and not want that help want to continue doing what they're doing and uh, avoid avoid the handouts that are given um, and it's uh it's kind of a tragedy to see that because there's so much potential in, in uh, people that are trying to do good that have done wrong. Um, and it's just a learning process. Yeah, uh, Farrell sucks uniquely, by the way. Um, I liked what Stefan said as far as the transitional um, aspect of seaside things um, and the opportunities to be able to get out there and uh, into the community you know, as a working model citizen, because that's basically the goal of what DOC is trying to tackle, is my understanding. Um, and then the other thing is, is change in attitude toward being a citizen. And uh, when I was first incarcerated back in 2007, I was 18 at the time, but I was fortunate because I was going to school for carpentry, home construction, and it was at a Christian school down in Soldatna, and so there, you know, there was a lot of there was a lot of support. It was a, it was a very awesome support system down there, and I was able to pull through that simply because I had that support system. You know, I had um, available counseling with um, fellow um, uh, residents or you know um, um, instructors. You know, I had one on ones with certain people. Um, it was more. It was more like a. It was. A, it was a small community, you know. And I think it's the lack of, uh, like, unity within communities. Is um, everybody when you're incarcerated and it's been for so long, you get out there and you feel you, you feel like you're labeled, you know. I mean, you, you feel like you're a, a pedestal below everybody else, simply because you made a mistake that's costed you time away from your community, time away from your family. Um, and like the seaside deal, I, it's a really good thing about being able to get there and having the opportunity to look for employment and gradually work your way into being a model citizen again, you know, paying taxes, working day to day, um, you know, eight, 10, 12 hours a day, and then going home at the end of the day and you're nice and tired. And there's, there's no time to be out there messing around and creating and causing trouble. Lack of jobs is really where it comes for me. I see that, I mean, everybody's got all this time on their hands and they ain't got nothing to do with it. And that, that also goes for the cultural aspect of things. You know, where's our culture? I mean, where's, you know, where's our elders at these days? I mean, you know, when I was growing up, my, my grandpa was, he was strict with me, you know, when he did have me. And it was, uh, when, I, when I lost him, I lost my guidance. That was, uh, that was a tough thing for me. Other, other than that, you know, I was uh, doing pretty good. I was, I was out hunting, playing out, you know. I mean, it, it was for the fun of things and not out there causing trouble. And not having the guidance of our elders and, you know, our respected people within the community, it's, uh, it's created a lack of effort within the younger generations, such as what you see right now. 
So this, uh, this is really good, though. Thank you. Hi, my name is Esther Comac, and I enjoy this uh, thing that we have today, and I look forward when I woke up this morning, and, and I uh, got ready and look forward, and hoping that there'll be a lot of people, and I just love it when they came in, and I thought about myself awesome, and I had bad times in my life, good times and the bad times. First, the good times were before the alcohol came to our village. Uh, we had ball games like uh, just hand the ball to the woman, try not to give it to the men, and the men would try to grab and have it to themselves. That's all the games we had, and few that we have games out of uh, our native culture. And it was so much fun, and later on the alcohol and the drugs came in, and it all, all got saddened, and we got all involved in the alcohol and the drugs, which wasn't very good for our little children that were there, very innocent and so loving and have no place to go. There was one time I walked around my town, and there was when the booze came in those few, few years, uh, there was a party over there, party here and there, and there's just like about four or five houses, and it didn't sound good, and... From there on, it just got worse. We started going to jail. We started beating up each other. Then later on, I, when I was young too, we had a tribal. We didn't have any policemen like these guys here, which I try to um, try to be good to them or try not to, um, you know, just ask too much of everything and keep it to myself. But anyway, when I was young, me and this little girl, we fought, and they were tribal. Councilman, they would send us to um, to the hall and talk to us, and I'm glad I did experience that, and I was in, and I learned all through the years. But it wasn't so easy for me after that, and I ended up in jail a couple times, maybe four times. But and I learned how going to anger management, listen to this lady, and I enjoyed it, and I was so happy that I learned. I learned how to the behavioral cues, the physical cues, and all that anger. I didn't know I had a lot of anger in me. I thought I'd just get angered. Yeah, go beat the hell of that person. So what? I'm good. I'm done. But now it hurts me that I've done these things, but it really did help me a lot. And I'm crying today still. And my 80 days of flat will be Sunday, and I'm going out. And I'm still scared with all of that drink meet my friends, old friends, and I need to be strong and tell the people like you people too, I need you soberly and integrity. And I just thank you for letting me be here. And I'm always crying. Sometimes I get soft-hearted, but I don't care if I cry. Tell you, I'm reaching out for help. Thank you. That was Esther Komack, who was incarcerated at Anvil Mountain Correctional Center in Nome. You're listening to Community and Unity, Building Connections. The conversation was recorded inside Anvil Mountain with inmates, staff, and other community members on August 29, 2018. Hi, my name is Evelyn. And um, it was back in 2004 I assaulted my husband. For the first time, in, uh, I got assaulted, um, charged for a tra- assault 
four, which they reduced it to a salt three, but I didn't know the language of the court system. And they set a barrier on my record to show that I, I cannot get a job. And, uh, but um, back then in 2004, I was in Kotzebue, that's where I'm from. And Manila helped me um, clear my name uh, a variance clearance, which helped me get my job back at, with Maniluk as a tribal doctor. And then I moved here, and and it came back to me, my barrier, since 2004. Um, this is my experience I have of, um, you know, being incarcerated in 2004 and tried to get a job and learned the uh, court system language, which I didn't know. Anyway, I, I moved to Nome to I moved to Nome to work, and then my barrier came back to me again. So I had to do it all over again, but I had to do it on my own um, uh, clearance, uh, variance clearance through um, background history, and and which I did and. Um, just to let everybody know, it was really hard trying to um, know the court system language and to try to get a job because um, there's just one number that can get you off balance or something. But I'm, I'm happy here and I'm happy to work with the Norton Sound Health Corporation as a tribal healer. Thank you. So it's, it's possible. It's possible to to start over. Uh, my name's uh, Ephraim Bartson Jr. from Stebbins. Um, growing up, you know, it's in a dry, dry community, and there's alcohol everywhere. You, you know, seeing it growing up, seeing the older, older people, you know, from like when I was young, six, seven, I'd see drunks. You know, I thought that was cool. You know. I wanted to be like them. I, I was looking up to uh, someone older than me. Yeah, I thought it was cool to, you know, be, try to be like them growing up, you know. Because everybody, you know, they all they want to fit in, you know, like like me. So you felt like your examples. Yeah. You were you were given examples like, that. Uh, like peer pressure. Or every, all my friends were doing it, but since I. Started coming to jail when I was 18. Minor consuming and whatever got longer stretches of doing time. And since I've been in, I lost few of my friends, few of my family members. When you're released from prison, do you still feel that same peer pressure? It's uh, probably my addiction. I'll be doing good for a while, then you know a lot of friends that. They're all alcoholics. Well, I shouldn't say they're friends, but they're just, you know, they all like to drink alcohol and do drugs. So I've heard this running theme that's come up through a couple of, a couple of people's comments about a disconnect from between generations, a disconnect from culture, influences from your community that you don't feel like are healthy. How do how do people respond to those feelings, those feelings of, of the elders not being there or having people around who maybe aren't as supportive? 
My name is Thomas Hobson. Uh, I'm originally from Utkhalik, formerly known as Barrow. Uh, the way I see that is that those of us that are locked up tend to lose all of our stuff that we have had going for us, such as all of our hunting, all of our camping, being with family members, and losing our elders that are trying to teach us from doing it the right way and having to come back into jail. So it's made me understand that this is what I want to do when I get home, is to be able to provide for my family instead of having to be part of a uh, rate that brings you back into jail and makes you just want to fall back into your old ways. So I've come to understand what I want. I don't know what, I can't speak for everyone else here, but it's the way I feel about. So what do you think could happen that would reduce this feeling of disconnect while you're still here? Or what sorts of things are already happening that, or changes that are already happening in the system to try to reduce this feeling? The way I do that is make plans for when I get out, you know? Uh, start helping my family get the things that I'm gonna need for when I get home so I can do these things, such as go out hunting, camping, and being with my family and help support them while I'm here. And it's not really, it's not as easy as it, as it is. There's always uh, steps you gotta take to be able to help support your family and just uh, understand what they need because us being locked up, uh, their lives doesn't stop because we're locked up in here and they still have to provide for our other family members, our siblings, uh, whoever it may be. My name is Gail Smith-Eisler and I'm the record sergeant here at AMCC. And one thing I just want to touch about um, touch on that we talked about earlier is Michael had mentioned that you know he doesn't see a lot of people changing while they're here but I do um, a lot of officers and I we talk to people we get to know each other and what I like to do is you know I, I practice holding people accountable for their options for their actions both good and bad and I always like to encourage people too. you know don't give up you know, I know it's really hard. You, you go back and you have to build your life back together. You have to put everything back together. You really are starting over again. But, you know, and that's why I like to stress, don't give up. Um, and that comes from personal experience. I, I have a relative. He was down at Spring Creek for many, many years for a crime that he committed. And when he came back, um, I helped his family and, you know, we, we supported him. We got everything, you know, that we knew he would need, his own place to stay, because he wasn't allowed to go back to his own village. Um, that was part of his parole and probation conditions. Um, 
We helped him find odd jobs because he only had one arm, so that was another thing that really was challenging for him um, on top of his criminal conviction and finding um, work. Um, we always invited him over for dinners and tried to be there and, and be a good social and moral support for him, and he did good for a while. You know, one statistic is that the longer that you're incarcerated, the more likely that you're um, to offend sooner after getting out. So we, we tried to help him, but eventually he got comfortable with things, he got too, really independent, and he just stopped trying so hard to be good because it was really challenging every day, trying to find a new job, trying to find somewhere that he could afford to live. Um, and he eventually reoffended and um, is serving the remainder of his time, which is quite a bit of time. Um, and so I do see a lot of people making positive changes. I've seen a lot of people that have gone through the Matrix program or have gone through some of the other programs that we offer here, and I don't see some people coming back to jail anymore, and I love that um, because that's what we're here for. Another thing I wanted to talk about is really quickly, we do try to offer culturally relevant programming here. Um, I worked with the education coordinator, Christina, on trying to provide like um, Eskimo dancing type classes or trying to get someone to come in to tutor people in a native language. But one big barrier that we have is a lack of people from the community willing to volunteer their time you know, to come in. And then we also have another barrier sometimes where just um, our population's not interested. And it fluctuates a lot. We are a pretrial facility, um, and so we don't see a lot of people staying here for long periods of time. But you have done some things like people went out fishing this year, right? Yep, a lot of people um, went out fishing, and that's where the smoked fish spread came from. Um, people have gone berry picking. Um, I've taken people out in the community to go clean up playgrounds very early in the morning when there's no kids out, um, you know, just to try to help better our community and serve our community. You know, when I'm struggling with something or having a conflict with somebody, I look to my experiences or I look to their experiences, what they've been through, um, what they're struggling with in order to move beyond that, to have compassion, empathy for them. And um, I think that's where some of the discussions around historical trauma are helpful because in order to recognize yourself as a, as a human, like everyone else, you have to know that you're, you're responding in human ways, you know, and a lot of you, a lot of people who wind up in the system are responding naturally to stressors in their lives and economically and housing and poverty. Um, and I think we forget that the, we're just humans um, responding in ways to our environment. And, you know, this is an opportunity to stop and think and reflect on our communities and our um, economy and our histories and opportunities. Um, and so that's what, you know, that's why I'm grateful for the people in, in Nome and the community who talk about the history that's impacting our communities today. And, you know, it's not just history, it's, it's current. So I'm glad that there are opportunities for people to come and work with, work with residents and staff here.
Hi, this is Lisa again. Um, I really appreciate the fact that uh, Bridie brought up history. And um, one of the gentlemen who spoke earlier talked about their elders and that there's a disconnect and there's a gap. Um, if we look at, you know, first of all, Alaska Native history is not taught in public school system. So a lot of people might be looking at their communities and think, gosh, things are messed up and they're just chaotic and my family's dysfunctional without really having an understanding of why. And once you learn about true history, once you learn about your local history, then you have an understanding of why things are the way they are and why you have certain coping mechanisms, um, where your family has learned those from, what they've been through, what your grandparents have been through, what your great-grandparents have been through, and the reasons why they behaved the way they did, and the things that you learned from them. Um, so it's really important um, for us to understand that gap and that disconnect that you talked about earlier, um, because once we understand the reasons why, then we can start to heal and start to you know, chart a path. But you can't chart a path if you don't know where you are. And you, know, you have to have an understanding of where you are. So I think that's a really important step, is learning that history. Um, I have learned coping mechanisms from my parents. I have them from my grandparents. I have them from my great-grandparents. Um, I have them from my ancestors, you know, both the strong ones and the not-so-strong ones. Our ancestors and our, our parents and grandparents make us who we are, and we learn from them. And the things that they went through, um, oftentimes we don't know. We don't know what those were because they were, you know, they chose not to talk about those things or they were told not to talk about those things. But um, if we're given a chance to talk about true history and understand the reasons why things are the way they are, I think that given that chance, things will get better. Thank you, Anne, and thank you everybody for coming today. My name is Sandy Martinson. I'm the superintendent here at Anvil Mountain. Kudos to all the staff who's helped pitch in and to the inmates. This is not an easy thing for you to come and talk about struggles that you're having coming in and out of our communities. That's what our focal point is. We offer a lot of variety of different things to help folks in here, but what they need to talk about is what happens when they get out to our communities. So hopefully with enough support from you folks, maybe, or the people out in the radio world, maybe, you know, there'll be more of an understanding for some of our, our guys that need that extra support. I know some folks in here have ideas about what might work well for when you get out and what helps with that next step. First of all, I'd like to welcome Senator Olson, ladies and gentlemen, elders. My name is Carla Ivanov, originally from Elam. And as that topic came up, I thought this great idea like would be this transition home. You know, you all have an empty hospital down there. And to me, I thought that would be like a great transition home for longtime inmates that would help them get back into society, you know, without being locked up. But they have the sources with counseling and other um, opportunities for, for inmates to get back into the workforce and um, in reality. And 
being out of jail for like a decade and back in here, I think that transition would like, you know, help me in some way too. So I think that would be something for everybody to look at. Tell me a little bit about what helped you come up with that idea. What were your experiences that made you realize maybe going straight from being in prison to being in the community isn't so easy? Talk about what helped you realize that a transitional home could be a good solution. I see many friends and family that came in and out periodically. And, you know, they didn't have that support like in, in our communities. And I just thought something like this would be of help to them. It was just an idea. Could you talk about any of your transitions out? Mine was like trying to get more involved with the elders. And like they talked about the fish cutting that was here and that was nice. I enjoyed that. And if the elders came and you know, showed us more about how to do this, I think that'd be awesome. So that was one idea, to invite the elders in. I understand there's a fairly open door policy in terms of inviting community members to talk to you about creating programs here, Sandy? Like, like you're, you're open to volunteers from the community? So what if people do want to volunteer? How, do, how does that happen? Right, so there's a some new programs that the commissioners worked on, new policies about getting volunteers to come in, not just in our facility, but get apply and then get an orientation and they can go into any facility in the state of Alaska. So there's some programs in place that could help these volunteers to come in. I know that I have staff that really work very hard and they try to get these volunteers in. So we will continue to reach out and ask for those and then just work with people. It's you know, paperwork process, but it's something we're more than willing to do here. You're listening to Community in Unity, part of Alaska Public Media's Community Dialogue series. That was Sandy Martinson, the superintendent of Anvil Mountain Correctional Center in Nome, where the event was recorded in August of 2018. It was open to the public and included staff, inmates, and other community members. My name's Danielle, and I'm, uh, I used to work at the Nome Youth Facility, which is the youth correctional facility, and I'm kind of curious. I, I've heard a lot of people talk about how they came in when they were 18. I'm curious to see, maybe by a show of hands, if you feel comfortable, how many of you were in the system prior to 18, before? Okay, so one thing that I was kind of thinking about as I was listening is when I worked at the youth facility, um, it was, I loved being there. I loved being surrounded by the energy and the potential of the youth there because I could see it and they did very well and I was very encouraged by seeing that. But the longer I worked there, um, the harder it became because I saw people coming back. And that you know, put a lot of questions in my head, obviously, why you, got, you did so well when you were here, what happened? And I think that was the continuous question that they probably asked themselves as well, what happened? Um, and I've, you know, I know that we have, we had some transitional things going on, but it seemed kind of willy-nilly and didn't always work or maybe didn't even do anything at all. So I'm curious to hear um, maybe what those experiences were for one, 
Also, um, there was some talk about the stigma. You know, you're, you go back into your community and there's a stigma. So with the youth facility, you're obviously removed. You're in this place and then you go back. Um, so it starts at a, a stigma at a very early age, comparatively. And, you know, that can last with you uh, emotionally as well. Um, so youth courts are some things that have existed and there's one in Nome. I'm wondering, you know, maybe if you didn't get removed in the first place, if that could be something that would be beneficial in your community to have uh, a local youth court of some sorts that could maybe redirect people before they're taken away. Um, and also it sounds like people are talking about their elders and the connection that they, that they would like. Um, but a mentorship program from what I'm hearing from people, you know, not only um, to be there to get advice from, but um, what I saw success in the youth facility is that you were surrounded by positive, supportive people. And it sounds like here that I've, I've heard some people with AMCC that that's the experience as well. Um, having a, a positive support when you get home, one person or two people that you can rely on or you can talk to when you're having a hard time, whether it's for housing, you now you go home, you want to do some hunting, well, okay, where's, you know, where's the gun, where's the boat, where's the four-wheeler, where's the car, like, where's the gas, how do I pay for any of that? Yeah, it's a great idea, I'd love to go do that, but how am I going to do that? So being able to have a person there in your community that say, yeah, come with me, I'll take you, so you can still experience those things without experiencing the barriers to go do that. Um, also sounds like a great idea. Don't know if it's possible or if anybody's experienced something like that. Um, but just some thoughts and some reflections that I'd love to hear from folks who may have started in the system early or maybe had a mentor that they had in their home community. Um, I've got two young children. One was in uh, youth facilities from the age of 15, and he really was released when he was 18. There was a couple of times he went home, and he was always labeled. Oh, there's that mischief kid again. Uh, nobody gave him respect. Nobody tried to uplift him. Uh, not long after he got released from youth facility, uh, he committed a crime, which gave him seven years, right, just like that, his first felony. He went down to Spring Creek, and uh, to this day, I haven't spoken to him. Uh, got a few letters from him. It's like he lost hope. And uh, right now, I got a 16-year-old daughter, which I see going in the same direction. Unless we had more, more support for those younger generations. Hi, my name is uh, Buddy Anagic. From, I'm from Unicleet. My first time in a prison setting was 25 years ago. I was, at, I was at the age of 13. And over the 25 years since I first started in the prison system, I've done roughly about 20 years of my life in prison. I'm getting out shortly within the next three weeks with no one probation, which hasn't, I haven't been off paper and I don't know how long. And um, I, don't, I don't know what to expect when I get up out of here. I don't know what to do. Uh, I'm finally free. 
and it's hard to fathom what I can, what my opportunities are, because I've been in this setting for so long, and every time that I've gotten out, I have every opportunity and every intention to do right, become a productive citizen of society. But I have a really, I have an addiction. I'm an alcoholic. I'm a drug addict. And it's so easy to go back to what I've known all my life. There's some things that, you know, that I wish for. You know, I, I don't, I, I'm getting out, not no probation, nothing. And I still don't, you know, that should be, a, I'm scared, actually. I don't want to come back. I've done 20 years. I've, that's a retirement plan. It's been it's been a rough it's been a rough ride. 20 years, 20 years. It's I've experienced everything in prison. When I get when I get out, you know, I hope there's some services that I can you know, find or work through or something. You know, I, I don't want to come back. I've done some positive, I do positive things every time I'm in jail. I do a lot of positive things. I've, I've been a part of the fishing program here. I'm a, you know, I work in the kitchen, I'm a cook. I'm, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know what to say, I don't know what to do. Uh, so being in here, is a, you know, it's a good opportunity for me to listen to people about what kind of services there are. But that's for Nome. You know, I'm going back to Unicleet. Maybe going back to Anchorage, that's where my wife and my kids are. I don't. I just would like to say thank you for you know, all the insight you guys brought. So as we begin to wrap this conversation up, are there words of hope for for this gentleman here? Are there words of hope that we can end on? Possibilities. Yes. Um, Buddy is right about this. This is a very serious situation we all go through. And just recently I had court today. And, you know, I didn't know I came in with this charge on me, which was a, a pretty serious charge that I was looking, looking at, but they dismissed it and they're giving me a time-served time deal too as well. So I'll be out of here anytime too, so I'm just hoping for that moment to come and I'm going to make the best best out of myself to change my ways when I get back home and to forgive my family or ask for forgiveness, you know, because it's the best, best medicine there will ever be in, in this kind of situation and it's the only it's the only thing that will open your heart, your mind, everything that's physically in you. And it sure brings a lot of relief to you, you know. And I'm glad we all had this meeting today. And I'm very surprised and shocked that I'm going home too, you know, because it really hurts, you know, makes you want to cry. Think about a lot of things. I'm hoping and praying that all these people that are here in AMCC that are going through their times will get through it sooner or later. But you no, know, 
God is always with us and he is there for us. And I really thank you all for coming. Good afternoon, Thomas again. Um, for those of you that are getting out soon, uh, all I say is find a good support group. Find some good friends to be around and try not to think about what you've done or what, what may bring you back, you know? Think about all the good you've done here. Think about what you could do out there instead of coming back in here and coming back to jail. Because I know I've got a little while longer and it's uh, disheartening and it discourages me because I think is that what's going to happen to me when I get out? Am I going to fall back into society and go back to drinking, go back to doing what I used to do, compared to as I need to be out hunting, providing for my family, and being with loved ones, you know? That's all you got to think about is being able to provide for your family and being with who you care about. That's all I got. Thank you. Thank you to everyone who came today, who shared your thoughts and your ideas. Thank you to the staff for the amazing amount of work. And this has been Community in Unity. That was Community in Unity, Building Connections. It's part of Alaska Public Media's Community Dialogue series, brought to you by the Solutions Desk. I'm Ann Hillman. The show was recorded by Nathan Hobbs and Ashley Kang with support from the Nome Community Center. Anvil Mountain Correctional Center Superintendent Sandy Martinson and all of the AMCC staff helped coordinate the event. Thanks to the people who participated from Anvil Mountain and from the Seaside Center Halfway House. You can listen to the entire program and other Solutions Desk stories at alaskapublic.org slash solutions. Thanks for listening.